good morning, church. I assume you're doing good. Actually, doing real good. You made it here this morning. Yeah. We are smack in the middle, closer to the end, of looking at the 23rd Psalm together. And this passage of Scripture, the 23rd Psalm, it is the most compact explanation of the goodness of God, I believe, that there is in Scripture. And David wrote the 23rd Psalm, gave it to us, because David fully understood what it meant to be a shepherd. David grew up starting as kind of like a shepherd intern, and then became a shepherd, and for years took care of sheep. And he draws this metaphor, and as we've been reading this every week, and we've been reading it right up to the point of, of, the, of the verse and the phrase that I want to talk about. So l- let's look at the 23rd Psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And Karen covered that last week. And this week, I want to talk about your rod and your staff. They comfort me. It almost doesn't make sense. How can a rod and a staff bring us comfort? It just just almost doesn't fit. And yet David brings out such clarity. For thousands of years, shepherds have used a rod and a staff. What is a rod and a staff? Let me me show you a picture, really, of what a rod and a staff is. A rod is a short little branch. It's, it's, a, it's, it's typically a branch that a shepherd has taken a, a part of a tree where two branches fork, and, and, and he'll cut that one section into a bigger section. He can use it almost like, like, like a hammer to beat on an animal, or sometimes he'll take the knob and hold on to the knob and poke an animal in its face. But he uses the rod more for defense, and and the staff is much longer, and it's much thinner, and it has a totally different purpose. When I uh, took the position here as pastor, I was given this staff, and so this has been my staff, because I shepherd a flock, and we are sheep. A rod is used, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. A rod is used for guarding and protecting. It's for guarding and protecting the sheep. Sheep are defenseless animals. They're defenseless. They don't really have claws to serve them well in a battle with another animal. They don't have teeth that would serve them well in a fight. They're not really good at running. They're not very strong, and any predator can typically get to them. So a shepherd would have a rod like the one you saw up there, and sometimes would even be a hole through it and a leather strap on it, and he would have it hanging on his belt or even wrapped around his ankle. And so he would have that staff and and that rod, and then he would also have a staff. And a staff is used for guiding and directing. The shepherd would walk along with his staff and and he would just 
poke the sheep and move them in a direction, or sometimes the sheep would fall into a dangerous spot or, or out on a cliff, and, and the shepherd would take that hook, and he would just lift that hook right behind his two front legs and grab that sheep and bring it back into the fold and back to safety. Because sheep tend to wander. Guiding and directing was something he did with his staff. Sheep had the ability to graze on hillsides like many animals did not have the ability to do. They could be on an incline that a cow could never be on or a horse could not be on. Sheep had that ability. But the staff was a tool of recovery and protection. And David gives us these, these, these two tools, but he uses them as a metaphor. Now, what do they mean? And I want to kind of, I want to go through that. See, a rod represents power and authority. The, the shorter with that rod, it represents power and it represents authority. I've got, this rod shows that I've, I've got the power to handle a predator. In other words, I'm in control. This metaphor of rod and staff has been used throughout history. Egyptian kings and pharaohs. As a matter of fact, here's a picture, I think, of King Tut that we have for you. If you look at this picture of King Tut, you'll see that he's holding a rod and a staff. Someone in leadership like a king and a pharaoh, that, that was very symbolic. It was saying that I am in control of my nation. I care for my people and I will protect my people. And so often, in, 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 even in hieroglyphics, you, you would see these symbols over and over again. And David just lays the groundwork for this. Denominations even have this. You see some religious denominations, the bishop will walk around with, with, with his staff. It shows that, that he is shepherding his flock. It also shows who the authority, the religious authority in the room is. The staff represents care and compassion. Care and compassion. It, David says, they comfort me. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. The writer of Hebrew just gives us that. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, it says Jesus is the great shepherd. He also, it also says he's the chief shepherd, and it also says that he is the good shepherd. In John 10.10, Jesus actually talks about himself in, in this way. He says, I came so that my sheep will have life and everything they need. Your shepherd came so that you could have life and you could have everything that you need. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Not only does he give his life for his sheep, he gives life to his sheep. The good shepherd gives his life. The Lord is my shepherd. And just as a shepherd... And the physical shepherd, and David gives us this metaphor of, of, of direction and protection and guidance and, and guarding, just as, as it gives us that in a practical sense, God wants to be our shepherd in a very real sense. He wants to do those things for us. 
as his followers. So how does Jesus treat his sheep? We're going to go right through, I think, about five things that I've noted. And the first one is, if I bring him my hurts, Jesus shows me compassion. He shows me compassion. And so many of us, we, we come to Christ, maybe for some of us, it's, it's in different ways. Or there, there are different areas of our life that, that we came to that we recognize, wow, I need help. I need a Savior. Maybe it was our finances. Maybe it was our emotions. Maybe if it was our, our relationships, maybe we were just hurting, or maybe we were weak, or maybe we were anxious or struggling with depression. Maybe even somebody betrayed us, or maybe somebody was unfaithful to us, or maybe we were unfaithful. But whatever, or even if it's all of those, what do we do? We come to Christ, and what does he do? He doesn't scold us. You know what he does? He serves us. When we come to Christ, he doesn't put us down. He lifts us up. We come to Christ, he doesn't hassle us. He heals us. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. There's a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 9. It says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, his heart was filled with compassion. Compassion. Compassion for them because they were hurting and they didn't know where to get help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is a big deal. See, sympathy says, I'm sorry that you're hurting. And then there's a whole other level, empathy. Empathy is, is just, is, it's a whole other step up. Empathy says, I'm sorry that you're hurting. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I, I am hurting with you. But compassion, compassion says, I am sorry that you're hurting, and I am hurting with you, but I will do anything I can to stop your hurt. That's compassion. That's why, that's why it talks about Jesus. He was, his heart was filled with compassion for them because they were hurting, and they didn't know where to get help. And in Matthew 20, Jesus says, I came here not to be served, but I came to serve others and to give. If, you have, if you're taking notes here, and, if, and that, those notes are right in front of you, that passage of Scripture, underline the word serve and underline the word give because those two words represent who Jesus is. But to serve others and to give my life as ransom for many. Serving and giving define the life of not only Jesus, but serving and giving define the lives of his followers. By the way, that's you and that's me. See, if you don't give and you don't serve, how can you follow Jesus? When he said, that's my whole purpose. That's the whole reason I came. As a church, many of us uh, together read The Purpose-Driven Life. Many of us actually went through that book in the form of a study. Some of us have been through it twice. And, and if you've been through the book, you remember that the first line in the book is, it's not about you. And it's not about me. And when we become followers of Christ, Christ we, we begin to recognize that. And we, be, we begin to allow our lives to change 
to fit who Jesus is more than who we were when we met him. But with Jesus, the perspective is different. Because Jesus, with Jesus, it's, it is all about you. Because he came to earth for you. And me. He died for you. And for me. He suffered for you and I. And he sacrificed for you and for me. So, the second thing I think we ought to look at is, if I follow Jesus, and if I follow him, he leads me in the right direction. He never, ever, ever leads us in the wrong direction. What does following Christ mean? That means I'm saying to God, I'm going to follow your son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him. If you go to Paris or, or you go to London or let's say you go to Jerusalem, if you happen to go to any of those cities, the smartest thing you can do is to take a guided tour. Because if you don't take a guided tour, you're going to miss a whole lot of things. But if you take a guided tour, you're going to learn more about that city. You're going to see more of that city. And you're going to experience, your, your experience is going to be so much larger than if you try to do this on your own. And life is the same way. Jesus comes to you and I and says, I, I want to be your guide. I want to be your shepherd. I created you knowing there would be a broken world and I would have to buy you back. But it's got to be your choice. Jesus is saying, if you choose to follow me, I'll be your guide. I will be your shepherd, and I will lead you in the right direction. That's what the good shepherd does. Psalm 23, in the, in the third verse, David says, he leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Andy Stanley says, Says, says something that I, I've quoted a number of times because I just absolutely love the quote. It's really so simple. It's so absolutely true. He says, Jesus, following Christ will make your life better, and following Christ will make you better at life. That's what the good shepherd does. In John 10, 4, Jesus, Jesus, said, Jesus said this, the good shepherd walks ahead of the sheep, and they follow him, for they recognize his voice. There's a difference between a cowboy and a shepherd. A cowboy, from behind all the cows, pushes them. He, he pushes them, and he herds them, and he, and he drives them from the back. A shepherd doesn't do that. A shepherd goes in front of the sheep, and he leads his sheep. And they follow him. And he's forever glancing over his shoulder and turning around and making sure his flock is coming with him. Jesus used specifically the word shepherd. David specifically painted this picture and this metaphor of a shepherd. Because Jesus is not going to push you through life. He's not going to be pushing you through things that you don't want to do. 
He's, he's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. Instead, as a shepherd, he leads us, and we follow him. He leads us and says to us, now, now watch, watch how I do it. Now, make, make sure you do this. And he, he gives us all the information we could ever need. And he leads his flock. Look, look, where, I, look where I go. Be, be careful not to go over there. And then life is a whole lot easier. And we have fewer problems in life. And we have less stress in life. And when I look at the world around us, listen, the world is, for the most part, is not following the great shepherd. The world is following money. The world is following sex. That's the big thing that it's following. It's following different groups. And it's following different political groups and and different sexual orientation groups, and it's creating all these. And Jesus says, I am the shepherd. Follow me. We will have an easier life and less stress. Psalm 26, verse 3, your constant love is my guide. Your faithfulness always leads me. This is the same guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm. Your constant love is my guide. Jesus only leads you and I with his love. He never leads us with fear. He never leads us with the law. He leads us with his love. Number three, the good shepherd. When I get confused and I wander off, Jesus finds me and he brings me back because he's the good and listen we all wander off he's the good shepherd he finds us and he brings us back Matthew chapter 18 this is Jesus talking and and, and look what he says and you guys know this verse you've all probably heard this verse if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away and is lost won't he leave the 99 safe sheep and go to search for the one that's lost. We grew up hearing this verse. Is that the alarm to tell me to stop? Is that what it is? <laughs> Do you know why he left for, for the one? Because every sheep matters. Every single one matters. You matter to God. Yeah, we're all sitting here in a group and we matter to God. But what he wants you to understand on an individual, individual basis is that you, you, let's not talk about your wife, your husband, the person next to you, you, you matter to God. And he says, I'm going after you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the one that's unsaved. I'm, I'm going after the, the lost one. Guys, that, that's the heart of our church here at Camelback. That, that's who we are. We're never going to stop singing. We're never going to stop growing. We, 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 you know, if, if we were to stop at a good number, 300 would have been the good number. Because 300 is an easy church to pastor. I could even, honest, I could even get in a couple of games of golf 
every week if our church was 300 people. And I suck at golf. 300 is such a good size because you can really get to know families and you can, re- you can remember names and, and you, can, you can really have a handle on it. And, and, and with the, it probably, it's, it's also this balancing point in finances and, and you can just really, it's just a good number. But we, we, we can't stop at 300. And we haven't. We're beyond 300. But, but, but the reality is we just need to continue to grow. Do you know why? Because people need the Lord. People need the good shepherd. People need a savior. April's coming, guys. We're doing everything in our church to make April a really huge special month for the heart and life of our church. Easter is in April, but we're not waiting for Easter. The first weekend in April, we're going to hit it big. Ladies, we're going to do sisterhood better than you did it last year, and the guys are going to help. Now, it's not going to be better because the guys are helping. It's going to be be better because you're doing it, ladies, okay? We're just going to be there to help you with some of the stuff that that we can help you with and and we should help you with. So the guys are going to be there, okay? And then then that weekend, that Sunday, is just going to be a great Sunday. And and April is going to be a month to say to to the people in our lives and in our relationships, hey, do you want to come to church with me? Would you come to church with me? Statistics tell us that 80% of people, if they are asked to go to church with you, with you, in other words, I'll come pick you up or I'll meet you there. Those are the two options. Those two options put them in the 80% category saying that they would say, yes, I'll do it. We're going to take people up on it. We're we're going to lean into that statistic in April. It takes unselfish people to grow a church. Unselfish people. Here's the deal. If we're going to be a church that doesn't want to grow, then we're going to be a church who is looking in the face of the people in our community and we're saying to them, you can go to hell. Because they will if they don't find Christ. And you and I have everything we need to simply invite them. Let's do it. Are you confused? Are you wandering? Jesus says, I'm going after the confused and the wandering, and I'm going to bring them back in. In Luke 19, he says, I came to seek and save those who are lost. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus is on a search and a rescue mission. He's looking for the lost, and he wants you and I to be the ones to bring them back in. You know what? If you weren't lost, you wouldn't need a Savior. If you weren't lost, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. If you could get to heaven by being a nice person, you would, but you can't. If you could get to heaven because because the scale of the things that you did that was good is more than the scale of the things that you did that were bad, 
if that was what it would take and, and you could get to heaven, but you can't. If that was the case, Jesus died a worthless death. But you and I know the reality. We need a Savior. And He is our Savior. But as sheep, you know what we do? We naturally wander. We get lost in life, and we get caught up in other things. Getting lost. You know, I, as a parent, I, I could almost ask you, and I, you don't have to raise your hand, but as a parent, some of you know what it's like to lose your child in a mall or in a store. It's a horrifying feeling. This happened to us with Julia, and it wasn't just a store. It was in Times Square. Yeah, do we know how to do it? Holy cow. All of a sudden, Karen says, where's Julia? And we made sure that we didn't lose Wesley. And, and, and I said, you look in the store. I'm going outside. And so I step outside this store on Times Square, and I'm looking, and I'm a New Yorker. It's, it's like there's just a sea of people. And instantly, your heart drops to a part in your stomach you never even knew you had. And we went through this, this, this window of time where our lives were in turmoil. Now, Julia was right where she was supposed to be, where we told her to stay. We just didn't look there. As parents, when we lose, you know what it's like when you find that kid and that, that passion and, and love, and you just let it flow. He leaves the 99 and pursues the one. Look what Psalm 119 says. I used to wander off until you, Lord, disciplined me. But now I closely follow your word. You are good. And you only do good. And you train me in your principles. How does he train me in his principles? Right here. See, we do that here on Sundays. We do that through the week in our life group. But early in that verse, it says, I, wander, I, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. And we confuse this word discipline for punishment. We, we think that God punishes us. You see, punishment is a penalty for something that was done in the past. And it's usually motivated by anger. But the heart of God is not a heart of anger. It's a heart of love and compassion. And why would he punish us for something that 2,000 years ago he paid the price for on the cross? He took all of our punishment on the cross. Why would he even consider punishing us now? Because our punishment was paid for back then. He never punishes his children. Oh, but he disciplines. See, discipline is training for the future, and it's motivated by love. And that's why David says, I used to wander. I used to wander off, Lord, until, and, and, and Lord, you, you disciplined me. He never punishes his children. On Good Friday, Jesus took all the punishment for all the stuff that we did. And you know what you are? 
because of following Christ, you're free. Well, that's, that's not fair. You're right, it's not fair, and it's not fair in your favor. That's called grace. His work of grace in our lives. And the creator of the universe loves us so much and desperately wants his children to follow him, and he gave us, he gave us the freedom to make decisions. He could have created robots and we would automatically love him, but there would be zero value in that. He desperately wants his children to love him. But that's a choice we have to make. And so he gives us freedom to make whatever decisions we want to make. But he doesn't give us freedom from the consequences of those decisions. We all, in every area of our life, we live in the consequences of our decisions. And that's why you want to make good decisions. See, it's discipline. It's out of love. And it's so you get better. And I get better. It is not punishment. We need to stop asking, why is this happening to me? And start asking, well, what is it you want me to learn so that we can become wise? Number four. If I fall or I fail, Jesus rescues and recovers me. He rescues and he recovers me. Why? Because we wander, we stumble, we fall down. In chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus said, If any of you has a sheep and it falls down into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not rescue it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? If you fall into a pit, he says. Let's look at the five religions of the world for just a second. Falling into a pit. Let's say you walk past a construction site and you fall into a pit. This is 30 feet down. There's nobody around. There's nobody there to help you out. And you're 30 feet down in a pit. And please understand my heart. I'm not putting anybody down here, but we need to understand who Christ is, and what the good shepherd is. So you're in this pit, and Buddha walks by. And Buddha looks down at you in the pit, and he says, you're in that pit because of karma. It's your karma. That means you, what you get in life, you deserve. You get in life just what you deserve, because that's your karma. And, and, and that's what Buddha would tell to us. If you're suffering, it's because you deserve suffering. And, and that would be what he gives to us. And if you were in that pit and, and Muhammad walked by, Muhammad would say that you, you're in that pit because you, you have violated the dignity of Allah. That's why you're in that pit. You disobeyed his rules. And so you're in the pit. And if a Hindu guru walked by, the Hindu guru would look at you down in that pit and he'd say, you're, you're not in the pit. That's an illusion. As a matter of fact, this is, this is what people, as a matter of fact, you're not in a pit. The pit is in you. Pain is an illusion. And then the New Age movement would say to us, you, you, you just believe and you can be out of the pit because you are a God. Just believe you can fly and you'll fly. 
No, you can't. I, I'm just never going to be as sharp as Albert Einstein. I'm not. Put the uniform on me. Put me on their court. I'm, and give me the basketball. I'm never going to be LeBron Pastor James. It just isn't going to happen. Positive thinking is good. I'm all for positive thinking, but it, can, it only works on stuff that you and I can control. Let's be real about this. New Age says, you're a god. Well, then why haven't you solved the world's problems? You can't even solve your own problems. But Jesus walks by, and you're in that pit, and he says, I can give you a hand out. I can give you a hand up. I will help you out of the pit. That's called being a savior. Out of all the religions of the world, Christianity is the only one where God sent a savior. Psalm 71. You allowed me to suffer a lot, but you will bring me back from this deep pit and give me a new life. That's a Savior. And he wants a group of people who will love him. Bring me back from this deep pit and give me a new life. See, the shepherd took his staff for us and he reached down and he stuck that curved part right behind our two front legs and he brought us back to safety. And he brought us back to the fold. And he did whatever needed to be done. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 25 says, you never need to be afraid of sudden disaster or hidden troubles that ensnare the wicked, for the Lord is your security and he will keep you safe and keep your foot from getting caught in a trap. He keeps us safe, and he keeps us from stumbling. And number five, if I trust him to save me, Jesus keeps me saved. Do you know whose job it is to save you? It's the Savior's job. It's not your job. And this is a point that I could get into theology, and we could talk about two different camps that, that for years have fought each other, and, and, and I, we just don't even need to go there. Frankly, I, I don't even care which of the camps you're in, because I don't think it matters, because the reality, and, and I understand the theology of it mattering, so don't, don't misunderstand me, but here's the reality. The shepherd wants his sheep to follow him. He wants them to stay in the flock. He wants to lead them and trust them. It's the Savior's job to save you. It's not yours. You see, you could never earn heaven, and I could never earn heaven. I'm trusting in him. And look what Jesus says in John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never, that's us, by the way, they will never die, and no one can steal them out of my hand. My Father gave my sheep to me, he said, and he is greater than all. That word all in the original language, do you know what it means? It means all. 
In other words, not just people, but any principality or anything everywhere. Satan cannot, sorrow cannot, sickness cannot take them, society cannot take them. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And Second Peter, he says, Jesus has the power of God by which he has given us everything we need to live and to serve God. We have these things. Why? Because we know him. In other words, he is our shepherd. It doesn't say we have these things because we deserve them. No. It doesn't say we have these things because we're promising to do good. No. We have all of these things because he is our shepherd and we know him. He's our savior. My question to you this morning is who's your shepherd? You need a shepherd, and that's Jesus. And you need to be a part of a flock, and that's a church. It's that simple. Knowing how Jesus treats his sheep, and we've talked about it this morning, understanding how Jesus treats his sheep, whose flock do you want to be in? Where are you going to find a better deal Who is going to offer you something better than this? No political group is going to do it for you. No economic group. If I just had enough money, no economic group is going to do it. No sexual identity group is going to do do it for you. No age group is going to do it for you. No gender group is going to do it for you. The creator of the universe sent his son to be our savior. We need a savior. God has given us a savior. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we have a savior. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I just want to give you that opportunity. And and it's not hard, and I'm not going to make it any harder than it needs to be. the, The Bible says you just simply need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and He died for our sins. And they put Him in a grave, and He rose on the third day. And He's forever interceding for you and I with His with His dad. If you believe that and you've never accepted it before and you'd like to do that this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip up your hand, put it right down. I just want to see who you are. Yeah. 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 Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for those who, this morning, who who slipped their hand up, accepting your absolutely amazing gift. You're here this morning, and, and you feel like you're a sheep, but you've drifted, and you're not really tied in the flock. Maybe even that one out there that he went for, and that's you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd just like to see you slip up your hand for me, put it right back down. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, we celebrate. We celebrate those who have come back into a closer, stronger fellowship, and those who have accepted you as their Savior. And if that's you, by the way, this morning, tell somebody. Share it with somebody. 
And Lord, bless us as we just open our hearts and worship to you now as we close with this song, our prayer team at the end of the service. Father, bless this time as we close it out together here, but we step into this day. And all that we do, may we honor you. In your name we pray. Amen.